can talk about something personally Gabriel and I have been working on um, is our marriage. Um, no, we're not. We haven't been on the brink of divorce this year or anything like that. But we have noticed areas in our life that in our marriage that needed some tuning up. And so that's been a, a focus for us both and just kind of making that a priority. I know. Which means it's a focus for me, right? Like you guys get it. The tuning up with I've been, Gabriel. I've been doing it for 18 years, so now he's like, he's catching on. She's no. been good for a while. I'm, no. just, I'm just figuring it out. <laughs> so anyway, we've been working on that. And then um, something that God's been working with me for a, a while is just um, time management and how to slow down and not be so busy and be more intentional. We're yeah. reading a, the staff here has read a book that's been really good, and I'm reading it now, just about choosing to be less busy, but um, just being near to God. So. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit today, actually, in the message, um, and how, how busyness really is an attack of the enemy. Um, if you think, sometimes we, we have this status symbol in our brain, that the busier I am, the more important I am. But the fact is, the busier you are, the less you're going to accomplish uh, for your family, for your, um, for your God, uh, for the church, for whatever it is that's a, a real priority in your life. And so um, something we've been in this book and just in our life we've been noticing is that while Jesus had a lot of things to do, whenever you read the New Testament, he's, there's constantly things happening in his life. Um, you'll also notice that he walks through crowds very slowly. Um, he takes his time to get from place to place. His best friend was dying, and he said, I'm going to I'll be there in four days. You know, it's like he just kind of takes his time in doing what he does. And in those moments of taking his time, you'll see um, aspects. For example, one place he's passing through this, this area, and he's walking slow enough to hear a blind man calling out his name. And he's, he's willing. He's not so busy that he doesn't have time to stop and heal the blind man. And so that's some of the stuff we're learning, that with our family, the busier we are, the less time we really have for our kids, even if we're busy with kids' stuff. Um, the less time we have for each other, um, the less time we have for you and for God. So, so we've, we're trying to navigate this thing this year, and we'll let you know how it goes um, next year. But we're trying to navigate through not being so busy and, uh, and being more intentional. Um, with that being said, so that's kind of like where we've been and where we're going, some of the stuff we're learning and dealing with. Um, with, with that being said, I want to kind of set up the way the message is going to go today. Um, I, I'm not, and Perry isn't either, we're not necessarily uh, dream people, right? Uh, now, Perry will tell you, I'm definitely a dream person. I dream every single night, um, and, and my dreams are always like very vivid and very wild, and I try to tell Perry my dreams every morning. One of my pet peeves is like when people tell you their dream, like, unless you really think it is means something like I don't care like it was a dream you know and so he'll wake up and want to tell me these dreams and I'm like you know like I don't even try to act the like dreams are funny to me and I like dreams and so I try to tell her tell her my dreams and she gets mad at me um but every so often literally um I could probably count on one hand um in the in the past probably six or seven eight years that I feel like I've had a dream that was from God. Like, it doesn't happen very often at all. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk to you about a couple of dreams that we had this year um, that we feel like might be from God. I'm not even saying that they are. I'm not going to step out that far and say that it's definitely from God. Um, but, but we've got a couple of dreams that we feel like might be from God. And even in that, I've got one out of the entire year. One. 
And I told you I dream every single night. I'm just, my imagination, just my brain doesn't ever turn off, I don't think. Um, and so today we want to talk to you about, about three of those dreams, two of Perry's and one of mine. And um, so anyways, with that being said, Perry, go ahead and give us your first so dream. So something to like, as I'm up here, I, I feel a little bit vulnerable because I don't, um, that, again, I don't share dreams often. And if I do have them, a lot of times it's not something that I would necessarily share with everyone here. And so then I struggle with the insecurity of you guys thinking, oh, she's out there, you know, she's out to lunch or whatever. But I really do feel like um, this one was from the Lord because I got immediate immediate clarity on what it was about. But um, this one happened in 2020, but in this dream, it was a very simple dream, and it was a, I was in a dark room, and I was running from room to room begging people not to stay there. And I said, we've got to get out. We've got to get out. Meanwhile, there was another lady in the room going behind me persuading the same people to stay. And I remember the room was dark, but it wasn't hot. Um, and I just remember feeling very discouraged and frustrated. And I sat down and I said, why isn't anybody listening to me? Why, why isn't anybody listening to what I'm telling them? And then I woke up. And so whenever I really feel like I've had a dream from the Lord, I pray about it. But um, in, in particular for this dream, I felt like it was an urgency for us. I'm, I'm trying not to get choked up, but that the Lord is coming soon. And it's our job as the church to tell people about Christ. And it's, it's, it's got to be a mission. And the fact that, that no one was listening and the room was dark and not hot, as we as Christians even, our eyes have become adjusted to the darkness. So you know like how when a room is black, at first you can't see anything and eventually you can kind of see. Well, that's the way it was in the room. And so people were content because it wasn't hot in there, and their eyes had adjusted to the darkness, and so they were okay with being there. Um, and so I feel like um, that that's kind of the premise of this message today. It's just an urgency. And then, and then I had a dream um, not too long ago, actually, and, and my dream is very, very simple. So in my dream, I'm just on stage, and the, and the room is like it is right now, and, and I remember... Um, pacing back and forth on the stage and I'm just calling out I mean I'm I'm, I'm almost yelling into the microphone um, but not in a sense of being angry I wasn't mad at anybody yelling and it wasn't a sense of of even scared or fear or anything like that it was it was a sense of um of urgency just what she was saying I just was so urgent that people would give their hearts to Christ and so the entire dream was very very short and it was strictly me going back and forth pacing back and forth um, trying to compel people to give their hearts to Christ. And, and so it was a salvation message in my dream, and, and I was just constantly just begging people to give their hearts to Christ. And people just sat and looked at me like a dog in a new pan, like it was just sitting there doing nothing. And, and I remember my dream being frustrated because, I, same as hers, and I didn't know her dream um, at the time, but that was what my dream was, was just constant begging. So when she and I were talking... We were, we were talking about the message today, and she said, I don't know if this means anything for the church or if it's just for me, but here's this dream I had, and I'm going to read it out of my journal. So she read her dream out of her journal, and I said, Perry, I had a dream similar to that, and I said, and in my dream, it was all about urgency, and she was saying that her dream was all about urgency, 
And I said, I think this is something God's speaking to our church. I think this is not only for us, but it's for others to be able to take with them. And so today, the, the common theme is the theme of, of urgency. And so there's a definition of urgent that, that we want to show you on the screen today. Urgent just means this, requiring immediate action or attention. It's a very simple definition. Just requiring immediate action or attention. And, and so throughout the message today, I want you to be thinking of different aspects of your life that require immediate action or attention. That's all I want you to think about. What are the areas that God might be speaking to you today where he is requiring some immediate action or attention in your life? Um, and, so, and so that's where we're going to go. And, and, and in saying that today, you know me and you know how I preach. i got to have points to help people remember, help me remember, right? So, so today I, I thought of a couple of things. Three enemies of urgent. Three enemies of urgent. And, and I'm going to let Perry take the first enemy of urgent. Okay, so the first enemy um, of urgent is panic. And Gabriel sees me panic. I will panic when, when my kids were little and they would choke on something. Like I legit <laughs> would just like run in circles being like, Gabriel! Perry Gabriel. one time, Colt, when Colt was real little, I hate to interrupt, but this is too good of a story not to See? tell. When Colt was real little... He was running, and we've got these newel posts at the top of our stairs, and they have little trim around the newel posts. Sean got to sit on the front row today? Okay, all right. Um, and so we got these new newel posts with a little trim around the front, and Colt was running by one, and it caught him right above the eye and busted his, his eyelid open or his, his eyebrow open, and he was bleeding. And I remember Perry literally picking him up and screaming and yelling and just running in like circles. Literally like in circles. She didn't know where to go or what to do. And the kid's just bleeding and crying. And she's crying and running around. And I was finally like, stop. Give me the child. You know, like, and we went and washed him off and everything was fine. So, so she did get into panic mode when it came to that. But one thing, I think urgency and panic are very different. Um, panic is uncontrollable fear or anxiety. Um, I think of... Um, Whenever I am urgently cleaning the house, I'm focused, I'm intentional, I'm cleaning this room, this, when I'm panicked, when someone's coming over in five minutes, I'm like, kids, clean your room, you know, I'm, I'm just running around and I'm not even getting anything done. Um, and panic to me and to you can look very similar to urgency, mm -hmm. but panic is also very dangerous because we're not thinking clearly, we're not, there's no specific mission, we're just spinning our wheels um, panic feels overwhelming. Urgency in my brain feels very focused and intentional. This is where we're going. This is how we're doing it. This is what I'm going to say. Um, but panic is very scattered. Um, so I think sometimes when we panic that we, when we don't know how to deal with something, um, whenever we're panicking, we don't know how to deal with something. We're reacting out of fear or anxiety or um, hurry. But whenever we're intentional or urgent about something, we know exactly what we're doing. When you think about the word panic, to me, something we were talking about last night, I said, yes. I said panic is um, fueled by fear and causes more fear in other people. And I immediately thought of the toilet paper. Like, whenever people, when COVID happened and people started panicking, like, saving toilet paper. Like, I'm like, what? But yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, we saw people getting in fights in parking lots over toilet paper. Not water, not milk, not diapers or formula. Toilet paper. It's like toilet paper. You don't even have to have toilet paper. I mean, I guess it's nice to have, but 
There's plenty of people around the world that are dying for water, and they could care less about toilet paper, and we're fighting over it. So panic sets in. I get afraid, and not only do I get afraid, but I cause other people to be afraid. And, and that's one of the things um, that you deal with whenever we're talking about urgency. Panic is always going to be um, an enemy of urgency, but it looks like urgency. So it's very, it, it's very deceptive. It's very deceptive. Um, another, one of the, another one of the enemies of urgent is distraction. Is distraction. And, and um, a lot of times that distraction is not... Uh, we, we think I'm distracted because the devil's trying to get, you know, trying to distract me and... No, 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 no. You distract yourself. 100%. Like, I am my worst distraction, right? I'm always finding things to distract myself from what is actually urgent. Whenever you discover something in your life or in your family or in your job or in your city or, or in your neighborhood, when you discover something that requires immediate action or attention and it seems too big for you, which is probably good because that means that God's got to help you, one of the old sayings is God will never give you more than you can handle, right? My dad always told me that's a complete false. God always gives you more than you can handle because then it forces you to depend on him, right? And, and so, um, you know, my dad told me that, that part. That, I, I'm not saying my dad was false. Um, I just thought about how that came out. Um, but, but the idea with the distraction is we get, we find something that we should be urgent about. And because it's so big, we decide to distract ourselves from it. And, and I, I want to think about this. We distract ourselves with work or busyness, right? I'll just work more. I'll just stay at the office longer. I'll, I'll just go on one more work trip, even though we know our family needs us desperately, even though we know our spouse needs us desperately, even though we know that, that our neighbor, um, no, 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 if I, I'm just so busy right now. I'm so busy. I can't devote time to this because I'm allowing myself. And so we distract ourselves. The idea of being a workaholic is, is your choice. It's not someone else's choice for you. It's your choice. And, and so we choose to be workaholics usually because we want to distract ourselves from something that's urgent. Another one is, is um, anything that's going to numb our minds, so drinking, drugs. And, and I, I hate to even talk about drugs in here because very rarely do you have people addicted to illegal drugs in church like this in this setting. But, but how often are we addicted, really, and we don't want to say it, um, to prescription drugs. It's just really easy because I've got that pain medicine from that surgery two years ago and, and I really don't want to deal with what's going on. I'm really upset about what's happening and, and I know I've got to deal with this issue, but if I just take a couple of those pills, I can go rest and I can go to bed. I'm not in pain, but if I can just, if I can just get drunk and re re forget and we get in this mindset of distraction. Another one, um, this is going to be bad uh, for, for me. Entertainment, right? How many times do we distract ourselves with Netflix, social media, sports, video games, whatever, whatever it is? Um, you know, I, I think it's funny. We, we talk about, you know, all these teenagers and their video games playing the Xbox and their, you know, PlayStation. And then we get out, you know, Candy Crush, you know, and we're just like, <laughs> Right? We get out our phone and we're on Facebook just doing this, this, this. What are we doing? We're just trying to distract ourselves from what reality is. We have a bad day at work. We have a, a fight with our spouse. And instead of fixing the marriage, what do we do? We just, just kind of distract ourselves. And so this is one of those things. Another one um, uh, is church. Pastors are some of the world's worst 
at distracting themselves with church. I, I can't spend time with my family because I've got so much church stuff to do, right? And so we distract ourselves, and distraction becomes an enemy of what is urgent. Um, there's a story in the Bible, Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 41 through 42. It's the story of Mary and Martha, and, and we, we've used this story before. A lot of people have. So Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house, right? They, they're sisters. They live together. And Jesus shows up, and when, wherever Jesus shows up, a lot of people are always following, right? So I can imagine, um, kind of like us at our house, and someone comes over, you know, and Perry is like frantic, you know, clean the house. So if you've never been to a small group, like we go to, we have small groups sometimes at our house on a Sunday afternoon, and so we'll go from church to home to small group, and whenever that's, that time happens, my kids are like, Dad, what day is it? Is it small group day? And I'm like, yes. And my kid's face is just sagged, you know, because it's like, we've got to clean the whole house. Okay, and so, let me ask you, parents, this, this is a side note. Do your kids say, whenever you tell them to clean the house, who's coming over? And I'm like, yeah. no one's coming over. I just asked you to clean your room. Like, legit. No, it's not true. Yeah. Every time we no, clean the house, right? G2, someone's coming over. And so, so we're just, we're just like, frantic. Just like, we're clean. everywhere trying to clean the house. And so in this story, Martha, I sympathize because Martha's got all these people unexpectedly showing up at her house and she's trying to prepare everything and she's running around like crazy and she looks over and she sees Mary and Mary's just hanging out with Jesus. And now Martha's mad, right? My kids do this all the time. You get one kid to help and the other one looks over and sees the other kid has slipped off and has snuck downstairs and is playing Xbox. And the other two kids are very mad. G2's getting called out. Um, so Luke chapter 10, 41 and 42 says this, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. He could have said, My dear Martha, you are distracted by all the details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Let me tell you something. It's not that what Martha was doing was wrong. It's that her priorities were out of whack. She chose to ignore the main guest coming into the house to prepare all this stuff when he could care less about it. Listen, we clean our house a lot whenever you come over. We don't clean the house at all when my parents come over, right? Why? Because we want to spend time with my parents. They don't care. We don't care. We're just going to hang out. They know us. There's a difference. We want to spend time with them. We don't want to spend time with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but there's this... I think something, too, I can identify a lot with Martha. I think... Also, the Lord um, is craving our attention right now. He's craving your attention as the church. Of course, he wants to reach the lost, yeah. but he wants you. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think, oh, you know, we know the Lord. We've asked Jesus in our heart. We're saved. But does he have your attention? He doesn't always have mine, you know. And so I think that's God's cry to Perry Wright in this season is, Perry, I want your attention. I want your undivided attention. I want that five minutes that you were worrying about something else. Just give it to me instead. Focus on this detail of your life instead of that one. Mm -hmm. Quit worrying about your children and whether they're successful or smart or whatever, and just let me handle that. Why don't you talk to me about it, you know? And so I can, I can identify with Martha a lot, but the whole time Jesus is just like, just come be with me. And it's so simple. Just come be with me. Hang out. Um, the third enemy, and I'm going to let Perry talk about this one the most, but I want to give the definition, is complacency. Complacency is an enemy of urgent. Uh, and, and listen to this definition. Complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure. Think about this. A feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like. 
I'm sure you've seen this meme before, the I'm fine meme. Have you seen this? Can we throw that up there on the screen? Um, and it's like, it's like the whole place is burning around this dog. And he's like, I'm fine. It's fine. We're, go- we're all good. It's all good. You know, but the house is burning down. And we get that sometimes, right? We're like, I know there's something that needs my urgent attention, but I'm just going to be distracted. I'm okay. It's all good. And we become complacent. I think, too, complacency is like when we recognize that there's an issue, but then choose not to fix it. We just think, oh, well, it's just going to be that way. And, and back, re, you know, referring back to the dream I had, we're, our eyes will adjust to the darkness. If we see the issue long enough and we choose not to listen to the Lord when he's speaking to us and saying, hey, this in your life is not good. This is not safe. And we're like, oh, I know, I know, but, but it really feels good. Or, oh, but I can't fix this now. Or maybe, maybe when my kids get out of the house. Or, or maybe if my spouse would change. You know, we, and then eventually we're just going to become complacent. And our eyes are going to adjust to the darkness. And we're going to leave it there. Also, don't confuse complacency with contentment. You know, I think the Lord does have a place where we are content in him and not everything in your life is going to be perfect. So I'm not asking you to analyze everything. I'm asking you to listen to the voice of the Lord, to get still long enough and get near him long enough to hear him. I think I think sometimes even with that complacency, um, the, Proverbs 132 gives us a great example of this. It says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. It's this idea of complacency. If I just ignore something long enough, right? If I just ignore something long enough. We see this all the time in, in um, like marriage counseling and, and even in our marriage. And one of the things, the scariest thing that Perry ever said to me in our marriage um, is we were going through a rough patch. And we were going through this time probably when we were both way too busy and we weren't spending enough time together. We weren't, um, we weren't having that, those moments where it's just us, you know, and and um, we weren't being intentional. And, and she told me one time, she said, I don't want to get to the point where we're just roommates. The idea of being a roommate with somebody versus being married to somebody is very different. And so what we don't want is that's a, that's a place of complacency where we're just used to it. We're just used to the problem. It's just, have you ever, have you ever been in someone's house and, um, and, and there's like a really bad issue in the house? Like, like, let's say you walk in the house and like there's a huge hole in the wall. And at first the wife is like, hey, honey, you really need to fix that hole in the wall. And the husband's like, I'll get to it next week. And then they don't get to it next week. And then, and then there's still a hole in the wall. And the wife keeps, keeps kind of begging him and nagging him and going on about the hole in the wall. And the, and the husband never fixes the hole in the wall. And then after a while, the wife just doesn't care anymore. And she's like, oh, well, just a hole in the wall. And then they totally ignore the hole in the wall and they forget there's a big hole in the wall. And then you come over to the house, and you're like, holy cow, that's a huge hole in the wall. Like, how did that happen? And they're like, oh, what, that? I didn't even know. You know, like, it just becomes a part of who they are. And so we don't want to ever get to that place where we're complacent. We want to stay in a place where, where we're, um, we see and acknowledge what's going on, where we're urgent. We're dealing with the things. Um, the thing about urgent is, in comparison to those enemies, urgent yeah, has a purpose. Urgent isn't jumping from one thing to the next. Urgent has a purpose. I I thought about this too. Um, Urgent is is focused on that purpose. So in other words, it's not running around like your hair's on fire. I I thought about the idea like if there was a fire in the building right now, everybody would be scrambling to get out, right? We would be be panicked, a lot of us. We would be hitting the doors and going out. 
I would be urgently looking for my children. And I would bypass you. And I would bypass your franticness. And I would bypass everything that's going on around me because I would want to know, where are my kids? And so I would say, Perry, you grab D2 and you get outside and I'm going to go find Colt and I'm going to find Emma. I'm going to get them outside. And, and I would be urgent about that, but I would be, I'd be very focused and determined. I would have a purpose and a goal. And that's what urgency is. Here's another thing. Urgent never gives up on that purpose. So not only does urgent have a purpose, it's focused on the purpose and it never gives up on the purpose. When I'm urgent about something, I'm tenacious about that thing and I stay on that thing. Perry is this way a lot. When she is urgent about something, nothing else matters. And the rest of us pay a price, right? Um, I was watching the World Series. Anybody watching the World Series? Do we have Braves fans in here? Anybody chopping with us today? No, no? Okay, just me and John and Eric. Um, so, uh, so here's the thing about the World Series. As you're watching the World Series, even if you're not a follower of the Braves, um, something interesting has happened this year with the Atlanta Braves. So um, throughout the course of the year, all three of their starting outfielders um, have either gotten hurt or had to be dismissed from the team. So, so, and these are three of their best players on the team are gone midway through the season. And so they get to the trading, uh, the, the trading deadline and they begin to make all these trades trying to fill out their outfield. And so they get these guys in. And, and so they showed, this, they showed this graphic the other night about the Braves. And it, and it showed their, their beginning of the season outfield, three guys, middle of the season outfield, three different guys, and then end of the season outfield, three totally different guys. And right now, those three totally different guys, they're in the World Series because of them. I mean, these guys are hitting home runs. Last night, one guy's making a, a, robbing a home run. I mean, they're playing incredible. These were not the starters at the beginning of the season. These are fill-in guys that the Braves picked up along the way to just kind of figure this out. And so I'm saying that to say this, I was listening to an interview with one of the players when they were talking about that and showing that graphic, and the player said, it spoke to, so much to us that our team, that our, our managers and our ownership, they didn't give up on us. They didn't give up on our dreams just because we lost some of our best players. They were urgent. They didn't panic. They didn't just go grab anybody. They were urgent, and they, they picked out certain people that they felt could help this team win, and they kept the dream alive. They kept the goal of the World Series alive by, by the way that they managed. They didn't just give up and, and sell out. And so I thought about that. I thought, man, urgency never gives up. So we've got one last dream today, and this is where we're going to end. We're going to end with one last dream, and we want to end with four things that we need to be urgent about. There's four things that we need to be urgent about. So tell us the last dream. Babe. So I didn't think this was an accident, but I had this dream on January 1st of this year. Um, and this one really makes me look bad. But <clears throat> as I was, I was younger in my dream, like, like still kind of an adult, but younger. And um, I was doing wrong things. But in my dream, I truly didn't know that it was wrong. And as the dream unfolded, I became more and more aware of the sin that I was living in. And when, it, when I realized what was happening in my dream, I quoted um, the verse, Psalm 5110. I didn't know the reference in my dream, but um, in my dream, I was saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit in me. And I was just distraught with what I had been living in and made aware of. And um, that verse... Whenever the next day when I woke up, um, that verse is, has two parts, and it's created me a clean heart. And in my journal, I wrote, in my dream, I was unaware of my sin. 
I feel like as the body of Christ, we have to continually seek God. He will reveal, reveal areas in our lives that may need cleaning, whether at the time we view it as sin or not. So my, I didn't know that I was in sin, but as it unfolded, I realized, hey, this is wrong. And then it may, it may not be necessarily sin, but it could be something simply that doesn't belong close to our heart. Um, and then the second part of the verse is renew a steadfast spirit in me. And I said, this year we need to make our spirit strong. We need to make our spirit consistent. We need to make our spirit unwavering. No matter the circumstances, we have to be steady and focused. When, uh, so the first, the first thing we've got to be urgent about is our heart. Um, and that's exactly what she was talking about. We've got to be urgent about our heart. Um, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will, and, and the idea here is a heart of stone um, is a heart that's complacent. A heart of stone is a heart that doesn't care what you say about it. Like if God speaks, the heart of stone doesn't care. It's not going to change. This is who I am. Have you ever had somebody that, well, that's just who they are, you know? I don't ever want to be that person. That I'm, that's just who he is. I want to have a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is soft and pliable and easy to, to manipulate, not by people, but by God, right? I want God to be able to change me. And it says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's exactly what we talked about in the Holy Spirit series was that the Holy Spirit is here to move us to follow God's decrees. And the more we ignore him, the more our heart becomes stone and callous. And we've got to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and help us. Um, some of the problems that we have with our heart is really listening. And, and I love what Perry said in her journal, that it's not always about a sin. Sometimes it's just, it may be a habit, it may be a relationship, it may be um, uh, whatever, a distraction. That's, that you've allowed or I've allowed close to my heart, and God says, that doesn't belong there. Let's get, get rid of that. And so it's important that, that we're always paying attention. Something I just wrote down is I, I wrote down, how do, we hear, how do we hear God about our heart? How do we hear about these things? And, and this really determines, this is going to determine a lot about us and our character. Um, sometimes we hear it through his word, or are we in his word to really receive it? Sometimes we hear it in the whisper, and I'll talk about this next Next month, in one of my messages on depression, but we hear it in the whisper. Sometimes it's just the whisper of God to your heart. It's that, that thought in the back of your head that's God. And the more we ignore it, the easier it is to ignore. Sometimes it's in a sermon. Not necessarily one of my sermons. I hope they're good enough to hear from God, but um, a sermon. Sometimes it's a spouse. Man, it's hard to hear God through your spouse. Can anybody say amen? All the guys are like, I don't want to raise my hand, but you're right. You know, it's like, it's like when your wife tells you you're doing something wrong and you know it's wrong, you don't want to listen to her. Have you ever had a kid? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about kids. They're easier. Have you ever told a kid to do something or not do something? And your kid's like, you don't know anything. And then one of their friends says it and then they start doing it. And you're like, I, I told you that six months ago. Um, so that we got to learn how to listen to God about changing our heart. And we've got to be urgent. Give careful attention to your heart. The Bible says that. The Bible says that, that, that the heart is deceitful, right? It says give careful attention to your heart. Why? Because from the heart flow the wellsprings of life. So you've got to pay careful attention to your heart. What's coming in, what's going out. There's a second, there's a second um, thing we need to be careful with or, or be urgent about, and that is in pursuing Christ. Perry had a great thought on this. So... Um... I, whenever there was a song that I heard growing up and it reminded me when we were 
when we were planning for this, um, it, the song went, tell me, when did I lose my first love? And I looked up that scripture, and it's Revelations 2, 2 through 5, and it says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, and you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. In other words, you've been doing all the right things. You've been, you've been a Christian. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. At the end of the day, I'm not going to say God doesn't care about the hard work. He does care about it. But very first and foremost, he wants our love. Like he wants us to be with him. He wants us to, to, to crave him, to want him, to desire him, to take a minute and listen to him. And it says, consider, consider how far you've fallen. Look back. Are you, are you with me? Like, are you, are you on the same page as I am? Um, it says, uh, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Um, so I feel like for me personally, um, and I hope it, it will speak to some of you, don't hold tightly to what you do for Christ, but hold tightly for the relationship you have in Christ. I feel like um, one of my, my heart is so burdened this year for the church, um, and I feel like we do church, and we do church well. You know, we, we serve and we serve well, but we really don't have relationship with him well. We have relationship with each other well, but do we really have relationship with him? And so find your first love in Christ. I, I think it, when she read that to me last night, we were talking about it, I was like, man, that's really hard. Like, that's a hard verse. Like, we like to quote it, and it's, it sounds good. You know, don't lose your first love. That's great. But the next verse that she read Consider how far you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. These are harsh words from Christ. He's saying all the good stuff you do in church, that's great. But it means nothing if you don't love me. It means nothing if you don't have a good relationship with me. I mean, I, mean, I, could, I could do all the right things in my relationship with my spouse but if I don't love her, she'll see through all the things. How many times have we seen people that they buy their spouse all this stuff, but the spouse doesn't feel loved? So, so Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you don't love me, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how many crosses you got on top of your church, right? I, I don't care how many times you showed up at Sunday school. I, I can come take that lampstand just as easy as I put it in. So, so love me. Have a relationship with me. Um, the, the, third, the third thing we need to give careful attention to, and I, I told you we have four, so we're almost done, is our marriages and our families. This is something Perry and I have been burdened about, but uh, Jonathan and Anna have really talked to us a lot about this this year in particular. And, and we're going to do some more stuff as a church family next year to really promote this. Um, but I want to give you a, another um, yay fam fest. And then we've got these really hard verses we're about to share from the Bible. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Yikes. I'm glad they turned the lights down on that one. <laughs> the word care for there means to provide, to consider in advance, um, to make someone a priority, or to have maintenance on something. In other words, whenever I care for my family, when I care for my marriage, I am in constant maintenance mode. If you've ever had a vehicle that you did not maintain, what happened to the vehicle? It fell apart. 
it broke, it leaked, it messed up. And what happens in our marriages and in our families with our kids, and Perry and I are in this weird place right now with kids. Some of you guys, all you have is little kids, and, and, and bless God for that. But Perry and I are in this place where we've got a teenager that's, that's two years from, from going to college. Like two years from possibly moving out of our home. And, and, and we're in this odd place where it's like we're, we're urgent and a little bit panicked, right? If we're being honest, did we do enough to get him to a place that whenever he steps out from under my roof, that he's still going to serve Jesus and he's still going to love the Lord and he's still going to pursue God. Like that's a scary place for me. And so we're in this, in this place. And so, so one of the things that we've noticed is we've got to be urgent. We've got to be urgent about our kids. We've got to be urgent. Listen, I could care less. My daughter loves volleyball and that's great. And my son loves football and that's great. But I could care less if she goes to college to be a volleyball player and he goes to college to be a football player and they make it to the pros and they do all the things and they die and go to hell. Volleyball doesn't matter at that point. I don't care about my kids doing great things on earth. I care about my kids being with me for eternity. That matters to me. Now, do I want my kids to excel? Of course I do. Do I want them to make good grades? Of course I do. But at the end of the day, if their soul isn't with Christ, I've messed up, right? And so I've got to be urgent about them. I've got to be urgent about my wife. I've got to be intentional and urgent about this relationship. I think some of the things we've talked about this year, man, the theme of my year has been weddings. I tell people all the time, I'm like, this has been the year for weddings. I've got one more wedding this year. Josh and Kaylee getting married um, almost next month, right? And so, so I've got one more wedding this year. And it's not that I don't like weddings. Everybody thinks I, I hate weddings. I don't. I, I love weddings. They're great. But it's just been like, one of the, you know, when you do something over and over and over and over again. And, and as I've been doing it, I've just, I keep coming back to this theme because I try to write a different message for each wedding that I do. And, and I keep coming back to this theme where Jesus said the two will become one. And if we don't get that part right, if we stay two, no wonder the wedding, the marriage doesn't work. Because we're two individuals doing two different things. We've got to become one, and then we have to fight for the one. We have to fight for the one. And, it, and it's, it's never too late. You can always fight. No matter how bad it is, you can always fight. Sometimes you have to fight each other, Right? But you've got to fight. What are we fighting for? We're fighting for the one. We're fighting for the one. And so I've got to make sure that I'm urgent about my marriage and my family and my kids. And the last thing we have to be urgent about is the kingdom of God. That's like that one point in the message where I was like, duh, of course, right? But here's something I noticed in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. So Jesus gets baptized. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's all over him, right? The Holy Spirit's on him, and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. What a terrible place for the Holy Spirit to lead you. But sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to places that we don't want to go, but he knows we need them. We need to be there. And so he leads us into, he leads Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus comes out of the temptation, and as he comes out of the temptation, uh, Luke says he is full of the power of God. And, And he says this, from then on in Matthew, he says, Jesus began to preach, repent 
of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is just like my dream. This is all I was preaching in my dream. Repent, repent, repent. The end is coming. And the word repent there is not a matter, I say this all the time, it's not a mean, bad thing. Jesus isn't screaming and yelling at people. This is the theme. This is what he's urgent about. He's urgent about you changing the way you're going and turning towards God. And he's urgent because he knows the end is coming. And you may say, yeah, but Gabriel, he's preaching about the end coming 2,000 years ago, and it still hasn't come. That means it's even closer now than it ever has been. It's even closer now. And listen, all you got to do is look around at the world. All you got to do is open up your phone and go to that, that app that says news and click it one time and just scroll. And you can't deny that the book of Revelation is being lived out right now. The end is coming. And Jesus' theme was, was repent. It was a matter of urgency for him. Listen, it's not your purpose in this life to get to heaven. That's not your purpose. That should be your foundation, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to get as many people as you can to go with you. Jesus said to his, he gave the illustration of giving a, a wedding party and a banquet and no one showed up. And he told his servants, go out into the highways and the byways and compel, right? Urgent, compel as many people as you can to come back to the party with you. So what do I need to be urgent about today? I need to first be urgent about my heart. I need to get my heart right. I need to get all the distractions and the complacency and all the things that are, that are enemies of, of, of my urgency. I need to get my heart right first. And, and then I've got to be urgent about my relationship with Christ. I've got to be urgent uh, about, about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me. I've got to be urgent about his presence in my life. And then I've got to be urgent about my family, right? I've got to be urgent about those around me in my circle, the closest circle to me. I've got to be urgent about them. Why? Because I've also got to be urgent about the kingdom. And if I can get the whole world to go to heaven, but I lose my family, it's not worth a whole lot to me, right? I've got to get everybody I can. I've got to get, grab everybody that's in my circle, and I've got to be urgent about it. I've got to be urgent about the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all the rest of the stuff can handle itself, but you go after the kingdom first. What was he saying? He's saying, be urgent. Give special attention to God's kingdom. Make it a priority. And he'll handle everything else. Why don't you stand up with me today? And I want to just say thank you again. We didn't get to say this and we didn't say it at the beginning. But thank you to everybody for um, pastor's appreciation. Jill asked me yesterday, she was like, are you excited about pastor's appreciation? I was like, no, not really. I don't like this. It's not always my favorite to have to be put up and then be like, oh, everybody look at him. Um, but, but one of the things that does make me think about is the fact that we're a family. And um, every pastor, every business leader says, I want a bigger business. I want to make more money. I want to expand my reach. Every, um, you know, everybody that, that does anything wants to, and, and every pastor wants a bigger church and wants to grow the church. And honestly, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, when I was younger, that's what I used to think. And I think God did some changing in my life because I, I came to this realization that the bigger you get, the less relationship you have. 
And I'm really loving where we are right now. I'm loving the fact that I can look out in the crowd and I know almost everybody. And I love you guys and I appreciate you guys. And my family loves you and we appreciate you. And my kids love coming to church. That's huge for a pastor's kid. They still love coming to church. So thank you for that. And thank you for the painting. It reminds me of the office where they put the painting on the... You thought about that too. But I just want to to end today with prayer. And I just want to end with this idea of urgency. What do we need to be urgent about today? What do we need to be urgent about? Not mad, not screaming and yelling, but compelling. How can we compel? What are we giving special attention to today? So why don't you close your eyes with me this morning and, and, and nobody looking around. Let's focus on what God might be saying to us. And, and here's what we're going to do. My wife and I, we, I, I want us to pray for you today. But, but as I look out over the crowd this morning, here's, here's what I want to know. Is God speaking to your heart today? Because that's all that matters. And is he showing you areas in your life where you need to be urgent? Is he revealing right now areas in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your job where... You need to give some special attention or take some special action. If he's not, let's ask him to do that right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to search our hearts, search our lives, look in us, look through us. Reveal to us today areas where we need to be urgent. Reveal it to us right now. Do a work in us right now. If that's you, and you can join me in this today, if that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up. Let's just make a proclamation that, yeah, that's me. I, I, I'm, I need that. I need some urgency in my life. I've got my hand raised. Why don't you lift your hand up with me today, just as an acknowledgement, just as a step before God uh, of killing our own pride, really, in, in a step of humility. Candace said it so great earlier today, a step of surrender. Whenever a police officer goes uh, to arrest someone, he says, lift up your hands, right? It's a, it's a, a point of surrender. So God, today we want to surrender. Surrender our life to you. Surrender our distractions to you. Surrender our complacency to you. Surrender our panic and our fear to you. Because we're urgent about you doing a work in us. Babe, would you pray for everyone? As we have our hands lifted up, Perry's just going to pray over us today. God, I thank you for my family. God, I pray, God, that you would speak to them, God, in a still, small voice, God. Or you would speak to them loud, however you want to speak to them, God. I pray that we would hear your voice, God. I pray that we would hear your voice in the car. Or we would hear your voice while we clean. Or we would hear your voice while we work. We would hear your voice in the middle of stress and worry, that you would be close to us. God, I pray that we would be intentional this week, but not just this week, but every day about being with you. God, I pray, God, that you would radically change the church, not just this church, but the church as a whole, that you would radically move in us, God. I pray that we would come to a place, God, where we know that we desperately need you, God. God, I thank you for them. God, I pray that you would bless them, bless their finances, bless their marriages, bless their children, bless their home. God, I pray I speak blessings over them, and I pray that they would not only receive them, but they would recognize them and thank you for them, God. I pray that you would bless this um, time that we're going to have together. God, I pray that it would be a fun time of fellowship and fun, God, but we would also feel your presence while we're together. In Jesus' name, amen.